actually part of our church, but we're so thankful that they are here um, caring for you, um, ministering to you, and, and being ministered by you. And so t- thank you so much for taking care of our beloved friend, Joe. If God were to show up on the doorsteps of your house and ask you to come up with a church planning strategy and he wanted, you, he wanted to send you in one of the most um, worldly places in the world. In fact, he tells you that this new region is filled with liars, immoral, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. To your relief, he, he does tell you there are some believers on, in this place, but there are also some false converts. In fact, there are people who profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. What would be on your list of priorities? Well, what would be some of the things that you first want to get established and running? I mean, I, I, I would say all of us, we would be scratching our heads to see what needs to be first met in the church planning endeavors. This was the dilemma Titus, Paul's beloved son in the faith, found himself on the island of Crete. Crete was an island which is about 150 miles long in length and 35 miles in width, and the people on this island were known for their deception. They were known for their lies and drunkenness and immorality and lazy island lifestyle. In fact, um, the, the, the island itself became a verb. It, it was so notorious for their deceptions that to cretize someone was to lie and deceive. In, in fact, it, it became a noble thing to, to cretize a crete. And, and that, that practically meant you were out-tricking a trickster. And, and so it was kind of a badge of honor on this island to cretize a crete. Would you want to go church planning on an island like that? Well, that's where Paul left his fellow laborer to minister to God the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's fascinating about our letter that we're about to look at is that it gives us a glimpse into Paul's heart for church planning. So, Paul sends Titus, and he doesn't tell Titus, hey, make sure you go in there and kind of stir up a new political movement. Make sure you, you, you have this social campaign to push back against this culture. He doesn't tell him, revamp, revamp the education system. Instead, what does he tell him? Chapter one, he says, the first thing, make sure you appoint godly qualified leaders. Chapter 2, he says, make sure there is a culture of discipleship among believers. And chapter 3, he says, make sure believers are submissive to governing authorities in all good deeds. And this morning, we find ourselves in the second chapter as Paul shares his heart for discipleship with this church planning beloved brother Titus. And so follow along as I read verse 2 through 6 in chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 2 through 6. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. 
teaching what is good, so that they may encourage young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge young men to be sensible in all things. Now, in the last several decades, there's been a great surge in, the, in evangelical churches on the issue of discipleship. The emphasis, I believe, has been overall positive. There are discipleship cultures happening all over churches. But as you know, with anything that is good, when we begin to lack biblical clarity and understanding, they begin to suffer. And I believe there are two ways that discipleship has suffered in the last several decades. Number one, they've become programmatic. What I mean by that is discipleship has become this mere systematic, rigid system and programs that you just run people through. You just say, hey, here's a list of books you got to read or book lists you read, and then you've been discipled. That's a one ditch on this movement that we need to be careful of. Secondly, on the other end of the ditch, it's become very casual. Discipleship is now just this thing that where people come together and they sit down for coffee and they catch up about life and there's no intentionality in the relationship towards Christ-likeness. Both of these ditches are problematic because in order for the church of Christ to be what, he is, what, what, what Christ calls her to be, there must be a dynamic, hands-on, and as we will see, multi-generational culture of discipleship. It was rightfully said that discipleship is the lifeline of the church. It is the lifeline of the church because the whole church is discipling one another. In fact, Paul knew this and shares it with Titus. He begins to talk about the discipleship dynamics in the church that needs to be in place so that the church is all that Christ wants her to be. And so, I've titled this message, The Church's Call to Discipleship. And this morning, we will look at four distinctive qualities given, or four distinctive calls given to the members of the church. That's all of us. In fact, as we will study, none of us are exempt from this. There are four distinctive calls, and all of us fall under one of these calls. And so let's look at our first call the call to godly older men. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Right out of the gate, Paul begins with the older men of the church. It's almost like Paul is saying, listen up, older men. I'm starting with you because you are going to set the tone. You are going to have to take on the leadership burden of this new church plant. Now, there's a, actually a fascinating discussion about what Paul means by older men. Is he thinking of 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old? You know what I'm thankful for? I don't have to make that call. <laughs> The text simply reads older men, and do you know what it says in the Greek? Older men. (laughs) So Paul is simply calling these men in their maturity to possess certain qualities. 
The emphasis on, is on the qualities, not the age of the man. And notice that the older men are to be particular kind of men. There's no imperative. There's no command here. Paul simply says, these are the kind of older men the church in Crete needs. This is most likely there was probably a cultural pull towards, towards older men to take a spiritual retirement. You're, you're in this season of life. Just take it easy. Just relax. Just enjoy it. You've made it into your blissful years. And Paul pushes back and turns up the dial a little bit on the older men and says, you have to be godly. He's calling them to godliness. And there are four godly qualities that Paul mentions. Let's look at them. Number one, they are to be temperate. This word carries the idea of being sober and rational and restrained. It really has the scope of being level-headed. Older men are to be thoughtful and not hasty in their decisions. They are tempered both in their action and in their words. Look at their second quality. They're to be tempered and dignified, worthy of respect. This is communicating the idea of older men being honorable. They're high-principled. They're marked by seriousness and gravity that is fitting in the presence of the Lord. One of the practical applications of that is older men, Paul is calling them to not laugh at immorality. They don't make light of sin. This is a man who keeps a comfortable distance between him and the things of the world. Now, if I had to say this is one of the qualities that is lost in our culture, you turn on the news and older men are acting like children. Their acts and speech are vulgar and they have little sense of honor and dignity. And you see, the bride of Christ are to be dignified and the older men are to lead in the charge of demonstrating this quality. And I do want to point something out. Dignity and seriousness in a man does not automatically rule out kindness. Being dignified does not mean that he is a cold stoic, that, that people don't really want to be close to him because he's just so awkward in his stoic mannerism. And how do I know that dignity and compassion and kindness don't budge head? They're not enemies one of one another? Because the most serious and dignified who ever lived on this earth was also the most compassionate and kind and loving man ever to live, Jesus of Nazareth. So, older men are to be temperate and dignified. Look at the third quality. They are to be sensible. This means that he is self-controlled. It is describing the prudence in one's thought life and conduct. It is knowing what to do and what not to do. And what's interesting about this is that it's the only word that is mentioned in all four groups, as we will look at. All four groups are called to be sensible. We're to be self-control, restraint from the pulls of the flesh and the world. And the last quality of the older men they are to be sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. It has three components. Older men are to be sound or healthy in faith, in love, and in perseverance. What Paul is calling is that they are to be robust. Older men who are the, the, the leaders in the church are to be robust 
in their faith, love, and perseverance. They are to be marked by deep trust in God's goodness, and they're to be known by their constant love for God and his people and strangers. And lastly, they accept hardship. They, they, they accept disappointments and failures as part of life and graciously responds when things come unexpectedly. In short, these older men are to be sound in their practical theology. Now, what's incredible about these godly traits is that when they are present in the older men of the church, the body flourishes, it blossoms. It would be like this. If there was a family with godly dads and godly grandparents, the children, the grandchildren blossom. So Paul, knowing this, says, Older men, you are to provide security and safety for the rest of the body by being godly. So in a culture of discipleship, in developing culture of discipleship, Paul begins with the older men. There's an organic benefit and blessings that come from having an ocean of, of godly men in the church. Now let's talk about the next call. The, the first call was the call to godly older men. The next call is the call to exemplary older women. Exemplary older women. There are four exemplary, exemplary qualities. Look at verse 3. Older women are likewise to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Notice how Paul begins this verse, older women likewise. Paul is suggesting that the audience has changed, but the content has not. He is still speaking about spiritual maturity that is needed in order to develop a culture of discipleship. I'm sure... The Crete culture, the the island of Crete, was sharing and and informing and trying to indoctrinate the older woman by saying, hey, you've reached this season of life. Just loosen up. Just take it easy. Relax. Just sip on your wine and just take it casually. You can be loose in your speech. You can be loose in your behavior. You can even be loose in how you handle alcohol. That was probably some of the lies that were floating around on the island of Crete. Live it up. You see, Paul noticed what he said. He said, older women likewise. Meaning, he says, older women are a rich spiritual resource in the church like the older men. And those who are living exemplary lives are worthy of imitation. And there are four four exemplary qualities that the older women in the church are to be known by. Two are stated in the positive and two are stated in the negative. Let's look at the first one. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. This phrase can be translated befitting of holiness in action. This is kind of a challenging phrase or description to really understand in our 21st century culture, but the closest thing that I could come up with is temple-like holiness, priest-like behavior. It it was this set-apart sacredness, ceremonial set-apartness that older women are to possess. Simply put, 
these ladies were the ladies who took seriously the reality of belonging to God. I mean, don't you love that? They, they took seriously that they were part of God's people. One of the church fathers said about this verse, quote, they, even their very gait, movement, aspect, speech, silence may manifest a certain dignity of holy grace. You just look at them and you know they fear God. Proverbs 31, a, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be what? Praised. Look at the second quality. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. Other English translations render it as not slanderers. Literally, not devilish. Not diabolos. It's communicating a quality of being an attacker or an accuser. Paul is saying that these women are not propagating lies. They are not in the business of slanderous gossips. Look at the third quality. They're not, they're reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. This is the second quality stated in the negative, and she's not to be a yielder to excessive drinking. In fact, the culture of Crete, I believe, was encouraging people to turn to alcohol. They're saying, oh, you're, you're in pain. You're in this season of loneliness. You're empty nested. So turn to this relief that we find in a bottle. In other words, the women of this culture in Crete were encouraged to be dependent on earthly substance like alcohol to obtain comfort. And Paul says, not with our exemplary older women in the church. They are to be not enslaved to much wine. They have restraint when it comes to earthly substance. Now look at the last quality that Paul gives to the older women. They are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. The last quality here explains the older women to be teaching what is good. In fact, this is very fascinating. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. In fact, some scholars believe Paul coined this term. It's not really used in any other first century literature. And so Paul says, older women, you are to teach what is good. You are to be a moral agent of goodness. Because God has sustained older women through the challenges of life. And so they are to be instruments of passing what is good to the next generation. The older women have the incredible responsibility and privilege of, li of living exemplary lives. Let me pause to ask a kind of an obvious question. Are these qualities that older women to, are to possess, are they to be possessed by these exemplary older women so that people go, oh, you are so godly. So that, so that they end up idolizing and gravitating those women and so then they go, oh man, you are just so wonderful. You are the best. No. Older women are to possess these qualities. Look at verse 4. I love this. So that they may encourage the young women. This right here is discipleship language here. This is the church being the church. Social media and the world should not be discipling our young women, but instead, who should be discipling our young women? 
the older exemplary women of the church. Passing on the wisdom of living a life of piety and devotion to Christ. This verb right here, so that they may encourage, really is talking about instructing with wisdom. So it's not just about teaching. It's not just about instruction, but it's also talking about demonstration. Older women are to instruct and to be modeling. So let's look at our third call. The, second, the first two were the call to godly older men and exemplary older women, and then the third call is the call to excellent younger women. Excellent younger women. And there are seven qualities that young women are to be taught by older women to possess. Three of them have to do with their personal character, and four of them have to do with their home life. Let's look at the first quality. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Now, I believe this quality that Paul tells the older women to pass on and encourage and instruct the younger women tells us a little bit about what Crete teaching false teachers were teaching. In fact, in verse 11 of chapter 1, Paul says that there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families. So you almost have to kind of wonder, what were they teaching that they were upsetting whole families? I believe one of those teachings went something like this. Young women, you can seek autonomy. The happiness of life comes from living for your own senses, your own pleasure, be independent, seek your personal reputation above all else. In fact, you can use your influence, you can use your possession, you can use your external beauty to make that happen. Seek autonomy at all costs. And in light of the teaching, like that, Paul tells Titus that older women are to teach young women to what? First thing, Love your husbands. Now, what's fascinating about this character quality is that the the word love is not the love that we would think about. It's not the agape love. I mean, obviously, women and all Christians alike are to possess agape love. We are to love sacrificially. We are to love people with self-denial love. But this love right here is talking about a supportive caring, friendship kind of love. In other words, young women are to be their hubby's best friend. This means that she sees herself as an instrument to be used by God to be the greatest influence and encouragement to her husband. You see, we currently live in our 21st century culture. We, we live in a um, time when culture is encouraging young women to have gal pals, where where they gather, you know, once a week or whatever, how often these women come, but, and then what they do, the, the objective of this gal pal is to complain and to gossip and to fantasize about their ideal lifestyle, all the while they neglect their responsibilities in the home. This is precisely why Paul reminds Titus to make sure older women are to encourage and model young 
to younger women and invested love and affection towards their husbands. Look at the next quality. The young women are to love their husbands and to love their children. This is speaking of motherhood, of caring for children, even when it is inconvenient and laborious. And you see, older women are to encourage the younger women to love their children because the older women who have raised up their own children are the best resources for the young women to learn how to raise up their children. God wants the young women to remember that a fulfilled life according to his word is a life that is marked by love for their husband and their children, even when seasons get challenging and difficult. You know what I love about all this is Paul is just highlighting the need for discipleship in the church. I mean, who else is better than older women to comfort young women who come to them and go, man, my husband is a knucklehead. And then the older women go, sweetheart, I understand. My husband is a, is a knucklehead too. But what did the Lord say? We have to love them. We have to encourage them. We have to pray for them. I mean, who else better than the older women to go to the younger women with little ones and they're just about to lose all their hair and they go, help me. What do I do with these children? I, I feel like they're going to kill themselves or they're going to kill me. And then the older women say, be patient. They're, they're going to grow out of that season. My children are, were, were like that too, but they turn out okay. Just keep teaching them the truth, keep loving on them, keep disciplining them, keep instructing them. The older women are so, so precious in the body of Christ. Let's look at the next couple qualities. There are two more that I want to look at kind of together. Younger women are to love their husbands, to love their children, and then look at these two, to be sensible and pure. Sensible meaning moderate and not given to the extreme. Pure meaning morally upright and hating sin and distant from the worldly pulls. Now, as we think about these qualities, it makes more sense when we think about the island lifestyle that Crete probably encouraged. I mean, Crete was this Mediterranean, you know, hot spot. And it was known for its immoral lifestyle of deception, immorality, and laziness. And it probably had this cultural vibe of kickback, like just, just hang loose. And in the midst of both external pressures and internal struggles, Paul tells Titus young women to be excellent in their life of sensibility and marital purity. They are modest. They're not given to the extremes. They're certainly not trusting of themselves. Paul is calling these young women to the highest level of integrity. And you know what I love is that in a church like this, there are going to be young women raised up in that same way, where the older women are investing into the younger women to say, you need to be sensible, you need to be pure, you need to guard your heart against loving the external beauty over the inner motives. Look at the next quality. So the older women are to be godly or to be exemplary so that they can encourage young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure at work, or pure. And the, la- then the next quality is probably fairly offensive to today's culture, workers at home. Now, I do want to just say that to those who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, this quality is a wonderful reminder of God-given 
function and privilege for young women. This is speaking of her high priority to fulfill household duties. She is a homemaker. You know, I think about just getting married a year and a half ago, and my wife and I have, have different opinions about colors, and I don't have any. <laughs> and she's got a lot more than I do, and it's, it's wonderful. This is not just our marriage, it's every marriage. The men are just like, sure, uh, that, that's, that looks great. And she's like, what about that angle, that angle? It's because God has wired women to fulfill this role, to be workers at home. Now, this does not mean that she can't have a job. This doesn't mean that she can't have hobbies. But it does mean that those things are secondary in comparison to her blessed privilege of being a homemaker. She's a family woman. She reflects God's love for the family. Look at the next quality. She is kind. She is gentle. She is considerate of, of, of others' needs. She, she believes in the command, or she believes in the statement that Jesus gave. Those who give are more blessed than those who receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. She is not stingy with her resources. This is a young woman who loves to serve others. And let's look at the final quality. Younger women are to love their husbands, love their children, sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, and lastly, being subject to their own husbands. Again, this is another quality that our world, our culture, even the culture in Crete would have found this offensive. Women are to be autonomous. They're to be independent. They're to seek out whatever they want in their own timing for their own pleasures. But Paul says they are to be subject to their own husbands. Paul makes a definitive statement that the young women are to be willingly submissive to the leadership of the husband. Now, this does not mean women cannot ask questions, women cannot speak truth to their husbands, and that they, that they can't dialogue about certain decisions, but it does mean this. If not being asked to sin, the wife willingly supports and promotes the leadership of her flawed husband. He is the head of the marital relationship. She does not resent, complain, or grumble about her husband in public or in private. Instead, she's a woman whose joy and honor is to serve her husband. And can I say this? Women have the greatest privilege of reflecting the relationship that the church has with her Savior. In this submission, she gets to beautifully depict the oneness of the church with our Savior. And this is precisely why Paul says what he says in next. He says, the, women, the older women are to pour into younger women to possess these excellent qualities so that at the end of verse 5, the word of God will not be dishonored. So that the word of God will not be blasphemed. So that people look at the behaviors of the older women and the younger women of the church and go, wow, what book are you reading? Now, for the remainder of our time, I want to focus our attention to the young men. We have looked at the three calls so far, the call to godly older men, the call to exemplary older women, the call to excellent younger women, and now the call to sensible young men. 
Look at what Paul tells Titus, verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Notice, this is a command. Paul tells Titus, urge the young men. This, this verb carries the idea of exhortation, instruction. It involves continually calling and entreating young men to urgency. As you know, young men need to be implored and exhorted and instructed regularly. And what is the one thing that they need to be exhorted towards? To be sensible, to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled in all things. Now, I'm sure as you looked at this text, you've probably noticed Paul simply gives Titus one quality for the young men. Older women, older men, younger women all receive anywhere between four to seven qualities. And yet Paul says, urge young men to be one thing. It's like God designed the young men to have thicker padding on their, <laughs> around their head. So they just, they just need one thing, okay? Hey, keep it straight, just one thing, okay? You don't need to... <laughs> J.C. Ryle, an English pastor for, from the 1800s, wrote a short booklet for young men called Thoughts for Young Men. And here are two reasons that I want to highlight in the, in the chapter he called Why Young Men Need to Be Exhorted. Number one, death and judgment are waiting for young men, even as it waits for others, but they nearly all seem to forget it. Young men are not thinking about eternity, naturally, and so they need to be exhorted. They need to have a a shot of urgency put into them so that they know, man, I've got only one shot at this. Eternity is coming, and I need to live in light of eternity. Second reason J.C. Ryle highlights is what young men will be in all probability depends on what they are now and they seem to forget this. Meaning, whatever patterns young men develop today will be the patterns when they're older men. And in fact, our culture tells our young men, hey, live it up now. You, You can think about adulthood later. It's fascinating even to trace the last hundred years Young adults were considered 14, 15, 16. Now young adults is well into late 20s, maybe even early 30s. One pastor said it this way, our culture makes adolescence the destination. You see, young men of all the groups need to be exhorted to be self-controlled. And let me have a confession time. As a young man, do I like to be exhorted to be sensible? No. But we need to be warned about the dangers of living in this world where temptations, cravings, and passions are just flooding into our hearts and constantly surround us. Now, I know this. In a church like this with the leadership that you have and the elders who serve to give oversight, young men are going to be blessed because they are going to be instructed and warned here and in the homes about the dangers of sin. And in time, they will benefit from this kind of love, even though they may at times not like it. I mean, no young man naturally likes to be instructed. No young man goes to, hey, can you exhort me? I mean, if there is a kind of young man, I want to meet him. 
but naturally we don't. So that's why Paul says, Titus, urge young men to be sensible. You see, the world wants young men to believe that manhood can be snoozed or delayed like an alarm clock. It also, on the other hand, wants our our young men to think that masculinity means you're successful in your career, that, that you are this macho, tough guy. You're athletic. But what does God say a real man is? He is sober-minded. He is sensible. In other words, true biblical masculinity comes from his life of prudence. So all desires, all relationships, speech, behaviors, and thoughts are sifted through the wonderful and fine filter of God's word. Now, this, is, this was fascinating as I was thinking about this, I remember one pastor saying, what are you going to do as a, as a culture, a culture of evangelicalism? And he was just kind of addressing broadly, what do churches do when a 16-year-old um, high schooler comes to you and says, hey, I've been reading my Bible regularly. I've been studying theology during my free time. I love to memorize scripture. And man, church history, that just gets me fired up. If a 16-year-old came to you and told you all that, the, the culture of evangelicalism says, you got to go to seminary. You got to go to, you got to be a pastor. And this pastor said, nope, that's the wrong thing to tell. When a 16-year-old comes to us and says, I'm doing all these things, I love studying theology, we say, that's normative. That's what every normal Christian should do. We should love theology. We should love studying scripture. We should love prayer. We should love church history. A young man of sober-mindedness is urgent and radical in his Christianity. And notice what Paul says in the following verse, verse 7, in all things. I I do believe that that is actually more part of verse 6. It it doesn't make a huge difference, but as I've read some trusted commentaries, they seem to agree that in all things really belongs to verse 6. So it would read like this, urge young men to be sensible in everything. Paul is saying, take all these elements and areas that you know about young men and their struggle and urge them to be sensible in all of them. In every scope of his life, he is to be put under the authority of Scripture. Friends, again, I think going back to the church's call to discipleship, this is a discipleship language here. In all things. What did Jesus say? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. Urge young men, disciple them to be sensible in all things. It is the duty and the joy of the church to come alongside young men and instill instill in them a great sense of urgency to wean themselves off of boyish tendencies. Friends, wouldn't it be great if the young men of Valley Bible Church are known as Titus 2.6 men? In fact, wouldn't it be wonderful if the church here is known for Titus 2 church? 
the body discipling the body. Do you see how discipleship is not now this rigid one-on-one meaning, but instead, it's so much more. It's multi-generational. It's older men, older women, younger women, younger men, all involved in this dynamic of the body growing the body. Loved ones, the church of Christ needs every member to step up to the plate in response to this privileged call to discipleship. Are you up for the task? What amazes me about this is God is looking and willing to use clay pots like you and I to accomplish this task. To present one another mature in Christ. How great is that? Older men are to be godly. Older women are to be exemplary. Younger women are to be excellent and younger men are to be sensible so that we get to present everyone mature in Christ. That is the church's call to discipleship. And you know who gets all the glory at the end of it all? When we disciple one another, we're we're in each other's lives, older women are pouring into the younger women, older men are pouring into younger men. You know who gets all the glory? The resurrected Messiah. He gets all the glory. And so church, let's roll up our sleeves and let's start discipling one another as a church, presenting the church mature in Christ. Let's pray. Father, what a blessed time around your word, thinking about discipleship, thinking about how we can encourage one another. Lord, we need the one another. That's why you've given us so many commands about the one another. And we recognize we fail at living those faithfully. That's why we need to run to you. We need to go to the throne and ask for your grace, your sanctifying grace to work in us. And Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you that the church disciples us. The church is the best reflection of Christ on this side of eternity. The the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head of the church. So Lord, help us grow in our love for the church. Help us grow in our love for discipleship. May there be organic, intentional, multi-generational discipleship culture here at Valley Bible. Would the older men be godly in their speech and their action and behavior? Would older women also be godly and holy and sanctified and exemplary so that they can instruct the younger women to be excellent in the home and outside the home. And Lord, would the young men of the church be sensible, sober-minded in all things, that they would grow up to be older women, older men in the church. Lord, all this, accomplish this so that Christ would be made much of, so that he would increase and we would decrease. Lord, we have no greater desire than this to present one another mature in Christ because we know That is the mission of the church, to evangelize the world and to disciple and equip one another for greater level of faithfulness. So would you be pleased to accomplish that? Would you strengthen us? Would you humble us? Would you show us areas where we need to refine and recalibrate? And at the end of it all, would you get all the glory that you rightfully deserve? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.